truth that we just sang, that your love never fails, that you are a pursuing God, um, that from the fall you have been pursuing your people to tell us your story of redemption and restoration in our own lives. I thank you for the reminder this morning that your banner over us is love, that we need to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ to see that proof in 3D and living color, that like an exclamation point on your story, the cross cries out to us, I love you. Lord, may we soak in that truth. May we live as a people who believe it. And may it change everything about our lives because that is the power of the cross. It is in the shadow of that power that we gather as your people and proclaim your promises, all for the fame of your name and the glory of Jesus Christ. And it is in that beautiful name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Don't break it like your dad. <laughs> when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Now by obeying the law, and we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we that we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have been, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it already tore me down. For when I tried to keep the law, it commended me condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for it keep, for if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Galatians two fourteen through 21. Amen. Thank you, Catherine. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord, and what a powerful word it is that he has for us this morning. As you are finding your Bibles and um, getting yourself situated, I just want to open up with a little story about one of my favorite um, characters in church history, George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s. He was a contemporary of men like Charles Spurgeon um, and um, people like D.L. Moody. He was known as being just an amazing man of prayer. Most of his ministry was towards orphans. But he got, because he was so popular and his word had gotten out about what God was doing through this man, that he would get speaking engagements all over, the, all over the world, which was mostly the east coast of the United States and Europe at that time for his world. And so he, um, he was invited to speak across the Atlantic and he 
didn't like to take those engagements very often, those speaking engagements, because he didn't want to leave behind his ministry. So he prayed about it. He sought the Lord. He was a man that was known for, speak, for being in the Word early in the morning, like 3 in the a.m., you know, under like oil lamp kind of early because that's all they had in the 1800s. He was known for spending two, three, sometimes four hours in the Word of God before he would start his day. He, you may have heard a phrase that says, I refuse to look in the face of another until I've looked in the face of my God. That's George Mueller who said that, and he was talking about being in the Word before he ever interacted with anybody, including his wife. He accepts the engagement because God has confirmed through his reading in the Word that he's supposed to go take this, engage, this, take this speaking engagement across the Atlantic. He gets on a, on a steamship. He's about halfway there. He wakes up one morning on this boat, and he, and he can tell the boat's not moving. And he's like, this is not working. This is not good. So he goes up to ask the captain. He says, hey, what's going on? And the captain says, don't you see the fog? Because back then, Titanic, hello, remember this is even before then, like they would stop when it got foggy. He's like, so the captain says, Mueller, don't you see the fog? And he says, my eyes are not on the fog, my eyes are on my God. He said, let's go down to your cabin and pray. So they go down to the cabin and it is said that he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, I believe it your will that I will be at my destination. Lift this fog. And he gets done and the captain's like, uh-oh, I think he's waiting for me to pray. So the captain gets ready to start praying, and Mueller puts his arm on the captain's shoulder, and he says, don't pray. There is no need for you whatsoever to pray. And the captain's probably like, what? And he says, because here's the thing. You don't believe he'll answer you, and I believe he already has. Let's go see that this fog is lifted. The next day, George Mueller was at his destination. That is a man of great faith, right? Faith is such a hard thing for us to get our minds around because it feels like a very abstract idea. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11. It was our calling passage that Brian read. I want to start there before we get into our passage in Galatians, but it, 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 it's often called, Hebrews 11 is often called the hall of faith. It's where all the, the great, you know, People, characters of the faith in the Bible are listed, but I want to show you something in here that will help set the table for why faith is so important as we're going through this series called The Summer in the Solas. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hold, now let's just stop right there. What? Like, again, you see how like, it's hard to get, like, it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. I'll be honest, like, my tendency is to, my heart tends to lean towards words like hoped for there. But really what we should focus on, the, the importance of that verse, is in words like the assurance and the conviction of the things that are, so the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the steadfast belief in the things that are not seen. Here's, here's a question that I want to ask you guys right at the beginning. So it's one of your table talk questions. They're all listed, hopefully, on your, um, on, on your little, um, what, what we are now calling training truths as part of Cross-Trained church by, the, church, by the way. Welcome, Cross-Trained Church. This is our first official Sunday of gathering as a group of people as Cross-Trained Church. I don't know if you got the memo, but that's true. So praise the Lord for that. So instead of connecting points, we're calling them training truths. And on the bottom, there's a table talk question. It says, how have you thought of faith? So how have you thought of faith as you've studied it, as you've just maybe thought about it? Even, even as you hear people that aren't Christians talk about 
faith. And I'm asking, like quickly, let's, we don't have a lot of time. We'll just shout out some things. How have you thought of faith? What? I heard a murmur. Trust. Trust. Good. Given by God. Dependence. Obedience. Belief. What was that? No mask. Right. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, and, and what I love, somebody actually said the word, there's a lot, and, and, and I, guys, there's so many times here on, on, our, on our gatherings where I, I sit here and I sort of smile as people are up here sharing, whether it was what Josh was sharing or what, how Scott, I did not know Scott was leading prayer today. I'm sending Brian Tootens, Brian Tootens? Oh, you're plural now. Well, you are actually very <laughs> plural, Brian. Um, Brian, I'm sending Brian Tooten a text saying, hey, I'm praying for you as you lead us in prayer today. So, so, and I share that just to say, I, one, I love that Brian gives that away to other guys. Two, I didn't know Scott was going to, but guys, you're going to hear a word today in my message over and over and over again to the point you're sick of it. And he must have used it 20 times. And it was believe. It was, and he didn't know I was going to say that. I didn't even know he was going to pray. Right? So it's like the Lord has already anointed this time. But guys, I, I grew up under some really, really good Bible teaching where I was taught that faith and obedience are the same word in Scripture. And they're not. Now, it doesn't mean... Now, now obedience demonstrates, is a, is a concrete demonstration of what we really believe in, of what we really have faith in. But faith and, faith and obedience are not synonymous terms. Faith and belief are synonymous terms, right? We have to, how do I know that? Look at what he says. Verse two, I'm still, I'm still in Hebrews 11. For by it, by what? By faith, the people of old received their commendation. So, so by this thing called faith, they actually received, again, without, without knowing it, I think it was Scott that said it, that, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham faithed God, even as God faithed Abraham. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Look at what he says. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Verse four, by faith, Abel, Abel offered, up, offered to God a, a, a sacrifice more acceptable than Cain. Verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken up without seeing death. By, um, verse seven, by faith, Noah built a boat, built the ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed, and it was credited to him as righteous. Now look at, now I skipped verse 6. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to believe him, believe God. For whoever will draw near to God must, must what? Believe. Wait, without faith, we cannot believe and believe and faith. He's, he's saying without faith, it is impossible to believe. And there are two things we have to believe. We have to believe that God exists, and we have to, that believe goes with both of these things. We have to believe he exists, we have to believe he rewards. That's a present tense promise, and it's also a future, like, reward in heaven promise. We have to believe he is, and we have to believe he rewards. Now, guys, why are we spending time talking about this? Why are we spending time in this summer in the solas? It's because we want to get better at helping the world know what Christians believe. That fundamentally, we, we, want, we want, when we're engaging with people of other faiths, of no faith, of um, whether atheist, agnostic, whatever it is, we want, we want to help, we want to get better 
training people to teach God's truth, to be able to say, here's the fundamentals of just what it means to be a Christian. Now, ultimately what that means is that I believe that Jesus died, rose again for me. Like, that's ultimately what that looks like. But if we wanted, if we wanted to enter into a dialogue with somebody and you're not really comfortable with, okay, but man, there's a, there's a lot here, and there is. How could we sort of boil it down to just a few things in a world that is all about Either I'm going to do my own thing my own way, or I've got to earn, if I believe that there's a God, I've got to earn his favor. Like, that's the, that is the world we have been in from the beginning. It's the world Luther had to deal with when the, when the Roman Catholic Church had gotten way too works-based, and it's why these five solas came out of that Reformation time. But it's also the world that we're in now, where, where guys, there's a whole group of religious people out there that are trying to earn their salvation. Some of them profess faith in Christ. But if they've added something to the gospel, they're not saved, right? Like if, they, if, if their heart has added something to the gospel, not just their church doctrine, but if they believe in their heart they have to do something to earn their salvation, they're not saved by definition because they've left grace behind. And so we're looking at these five solas. Last two weeks ago, actually, we looked at sola gratia. Say that with me, sola gratia. That was horrible. Sola gratia. There we go. That just means by grace alone. Today we're looking at sola fide is how you pronounce it. Sola fide. Say sola fide. Next week we're going to look at solus Christus. Solus Christus, which is, by, which is in Christ alone. So it's saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then it's sola scriptura. Sola Scriptura. So it's saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the word of God alone. So he's saying you're saved only by grace, through believing in the promises of God, faith alone, that the promise is all about Christ, in Christ, the promises that are in Christ, according to what the word of God says. And the last one is sola de gloria, which is our soli, it depends on how you, how you, where you see it, but it can sometimes be solia de gloria. So say solia, solia de gloria. And it just means to the glory of God alone. So we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the word alone, or according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Why does that matter? Because we want to engage in conversation with people that says, here's fundamentally what we believe. And the question today for us, guys, is don't, it's not just for those people out there, but it's for us in here, is do we really believe it? Do we really believe the promise of, of Hebrews 11.6? We, we, does the world, do the people you're engaging with in the world or in this room, do we believe, one, that God exists, and two, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him? that those who set their lives upon his truth, he rewards here and now and in eternity. If we really, guys, I, and I'm going to tell you that if we really believe that, we would live very differently. Now, as Carrie and I were praying on the way down to church, as we do every Sunday on the drive, we're praying for, this, for the time, we're praying for you guys, we're praying, and I'm praying, Lord, in my own heart, I so quickly can slip away from living like I really believe that the cross has done it all. Right? And so, I, so I've been praying for us, yeah, that we would get better at speaking to them, th those people out there in the world that need to hear about it. But I also have been praying specifically for us to really personally, individually own these solas in our own hearts, that we, would, that we would live like we really believe what I just had you guys rehearse. So with that, finally, turn to our passage for today, which is, a, which is Galatians chapter 2. 
And so we're, we are now in our second sola, sola fide. And the training truth that's going to drive our, or the, or the, I'm sorry, the training thought that's going to drive our discussion today. So this is like the main idea for today. It's going to drive what we're talking about is what does it look like to live by faith? What does it look like to live by faith? Now, when I, when I taught on sola gratia two weeks ago, by, I, I talked a lot more about what grace does than what grace is. Because I think we spend a lot of time talking about what grace is. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's God's love. It's all, but I wanted to say, but what does God's grace do? And one of the things we said is we sort of sell God's grace short because we say, well, God's grace saves us. It does save us. But it also empowers us here and now, and it fits us into the family of God. Right? That, now, today, what we're going to spend more time on is not, not what faith is. We just looked at that a little bit. Faith is belief. You're going to hear that a lot. But we're going to look at what is faith do. We're going to talk more about, I'm sorry, we're going to talk more about um, what faith is and not what faith does. Because, because and I, unlike grace, faith, when we talk about you just need to have more faith, brother, I, at least my heart, I almost immediately start thinking action. I got to start doing something. So I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about a little bit about what faith is. And so we're going to look at two things. One, here's, here's, here's how you live a life of faith. One, you have to believe in what God says and not what you want him to say. And the second thing is you have to believe in God's work and power in your life and not your own. And that's what Galatians, that's what Paul's going to show us in Galatians. So Galatians was written to a church. So the letter of Galatians was written to a church. It was the first missionary journey Paul went on, was in Galatia. It's in what is, Western, what is now Western Turkey. And he now is writing back to that church. It was the first letter Paul wrote. It was written probably less than 20 years before, um, before or after, 20 years after Christ came. But he's writing back to this church that he had planted some 10 years earlier. And he is going to be pretty direct with them about what the gospel is. So let's just pick it up with our first, um, with the first point and looking at we have to believe what God's word says, not what we want it to say. And I'm just going to pick it up in verse 11. So Paul has, is writing to this church. He's, he's, he's gone back to Jerusalem. He's interacted with the apostles. He's moved on back to Antioch. Um, and, and it says, but when, in verse 11, it says, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, guys, we can read that right now and kind of start, it's getting warm in here already and kind of start to get those zone out a little bit. But I'm telling you, like, that's a big deal. Like, these are, these are like the titans of the faith. Paul and Peter, right? Peter is the one who's, who, was, who was called to preach the gospel to the Jewish people, mostly, not entirely. And Paul was the one who was called to preach the, the gospel to the Gentile people, not entirely, but mostly. And these two titans of the faith come head to head, and Paul fronts Peter up in, in public. So back to what we were talking about here when Scott was saying, admonishing one another is a part of the call of Christ, we get to see it like in our face right now. Why though? What's it, what, are they arguing about some trivial matter? No, they're arguing about the gospel. The gospel is at stake. And the gospel is the story, like God's story from beginning to end, that he is going to save his people through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Right? The gospel is that we believe that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again for you. That's the message, and that's all you need to know to be saved. And Peter is not following that. He is, he, Peter is frankly more comfortable to be Jewish. 
He was raised to be Jewish. He wanted to be Jewish. And, and so was Paul. But Peter would always default back to his Jewish roots. And he does that because he's not listening to what God's word says. He's, he's sort of listening to what he wants God's word to mean. Guys, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and the hear and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith, faith, what we're talking about today, comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Literally in the Greek, this is what Romans 10, 17 says. Faith comes to, faith comes to be from the act of hearing the actual sayings concerning Christ. So I think it was Francis of Assisi or one of the church fathers who's credited for saying, you know, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Sorry, Francis, you're wrong. I, I get his heart behind that is to say, live in a loving way. Like, live out the gospel. Don't just proclaim the gospel and then be a jerk, right? Live the gospel with your life, but you got to use words according to the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's important. Paul's like, Peter, you have got to get back to, to not just saying the gospel, but living the gospel, and it has to be the full gospel, so let's keep going in verse 12. For before certain men came from James, so James was the church father in Jerusalem, so this would be, this is his way of saying, so before the most Jewish Christians came, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So do you get what Paul's saying? He's saying Peter was living like a Gentile. He, was, he, was, he wasn't following the ceremonial laws of the Jewish tradition which is, frankly, what he has been freed from in Christ. But because he was, when he was around Gentile people, he was fine to do that. But a few, but a few Jewish people show up that are more law-centered, and Peter starts to drift. In fact, the, the, the language in the Greek there says it was a slow transition over time that Peter starts to drift back to his Jewish roots. He starts to become more law-oriented again. And it says this, and the rest, in verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So just like sin does, guys, not only is Peter doing it, but because Peter is acting a certain way, people are following him into that sin issue. And then it says, so that even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was led astray by his hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, though you're a Jew, live like a Gentile, and he could have added, when there are no Jews around watching you, are not, are, are, you're not like a Jew. How can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? He's saying, he's saying, wait a minute. A little bit ago, Peter, you weren't following the ceremonial law because you know God's word says now that we don't have to. But now there's some people watching you and you're defaulting to what, you're, what you kind of what you're more comfortable with, what you want God's word to say about how you're to live. And guys, we do that to people all the time. We put laws, we wouldn't call them that. We put, frankly, preferences on people all the time that are not the gospel. Sometimes we'll even have a proof text and we'll, we'll yank a verse out and we'll shove it in someone's face and go, and this is why you shouldn't be smoking or drinking alcohol or this is why you shouldn't this or this is why you shouldn't that. And guys, none of that's the gospel. This is why you shouldn't, I know, I mean, vote this way or not, 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 not 
like this thing on Facebook or whatever it is. Guys, none of that is the gospel. Paul is not defending himself. He's not defending his opinion. He's not defending some secondary issue. He is not fronting Peter up about something like, when is Jesus coming back? He's not, because that's a secondary issue. You are not saved for eternity based on when you believe the second coming is coming. It's just, it's, you're not. doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. doesn't mean we shouldn't teach on it. doesn't mean it's, because it's, it's lots of stuff in here about it. I'm just saying he, he isn't going to publicly front up Peter over something that isn't the gospel. And we shouldn't either, publicly. What nowadays publicly would be in a group, but it also could be on the internet. And so we need to be, we need to, we need to admonish, we need to, but we need to do it in a way that is appropriate for one, what the, what the thing is. Here it was the gospel at stake. And the second thing is we need to do it in a way that is, it, it, the reason Peter, the reason Paul front, the reason, the reason Paul confronts Peter publicly is because Peter was sinning publicly. That's the salute. That's, that's a huge issue. That's a huge issue. If, if, some, if someone's sinning privately and you know that, go to them. But don't turn that private sin into a public issue by gossiping about it or talking about it in front of other people. Peter, Paul has license to do this in Peter's life because of what it just said. In verse, it said the other Jews were following Peter. So Paul is now compelled for the sake of those other Jews to go, man, I, I have to make this a public issue. So he confronts him on that, on that issue. Look at your next, your second gospel, um, or your second table talk question. It says, what are some areas that you distract from the promises of God by what you portray, convey, or try to convert others to? And I've belabored this a lot. Like, so for example, are you better known for your politics than for your faith in Christ? Are you better known for your stance on the second coming than on just your belief in the love of God as proved in the gospel? Are you like, what, like, what are, what are some things? And I, we're not going to spend time talking about it now. Hopefully when we get in the new space, and we're actually at tables. We'll do that. But I want to encourage you like at dinner time, um, like to talk about, okay, so what, what are some things that whether individually as a couple, as a family that I am putting out there that could possibly be hindrances to get to getting in the way of the gospel? Because I had a chance, and this is not on my notes, and I, I'm sorry, but I had a chance to meet with Mark Cusdis, who was our um, missionary in um, Costa Rica. And he was, heading, he was up here because they finally, after a year, Joanne Cusdis went to be with the Lord a year ago, and because of all the craziness of the world, they wouldn't let him out of the country. And um, so they finally had her memorial service last weekend. Um, so Tony, 94 years old, bless his heart, he finally gets to say goodbye to his wife after a year, which was such a, such a cool thing. And family came from all over. I had, I had a chance to just meet with, with, with Mark for an hour. I didn't want to interrupt that time. But one of the things we talked about was how, like, that a reality that we have that maybe isn't as big a deal in Costa Rica. They've got their own issues, especially where he's ministering. But, but like, I, I was telling him, I said, part of our struggle as we go from, like, becoming a people to train, to teach God's truth, is it's so hard to even open up a conversation anymore with an unbelieving world because, one, because of where they're at, but two, because of what, who they think we are. Because the minute I say, I'm a Christian, the minute I say I'm a follower of Christ, or whatever other way you want to say it, the, the, the world has this vision of something that is so not biblically Jesus. Right? It, I mean, I've said, it, it, it has what, what much, when I say something, like all of the baristas at the coffee shop I go to know I'm a follower of Christ. 
I'm guessing most of them, from the way they interact with me, although they, they, they think I'm friendly, we all get along real well, my guess is they think I am Sean Hannity or whoever that other dude is I've never actually listened to because he can't ever say anything really intelligent. Um, who's the other guy? T uh, what? Tucker Carlson. That's right. Like, sorry, I know some of you are fans of his. I'm just saying... What we have earned in the church is that people see us as that. They see Christianity as that. And we can't even get to the gospel. Like, and we've got to, and that's just got to stop. So, so, stop there for a second. Ultimately, what's at stake in this moment with, with, and why this matters for our, for, and how it relates to faith is that what's at stake to Paul and why he's writing this, why he did this to Peter, why he's writing this letter is that if, if, we, if we add anything to the gospel, anything to grace, our faith, is, our faith, which is believing in the promise, is no longer believing in the promise. By definition, if it's anything beyond, I believe in the cross and what the cross has done for me. If I add anything to that, which, which in Luther's world or Calvin's world, or the reformers' world, they had added a ton to that. In Paul's Jewish world, they'd added a ton to the promises of God. And we're doing it too. And so what's at stake here, what's at stake for us now, is the gospel and the ability to convey the gospel, right? Which is God's banner over you is love, right? Do people really believe that? So what does it look like to live by faith? One, we have to believe what God's word says and not what we want it to say, not what we hope it'll say, not what we can morph it into our argument to make it say. And then the second thing is we have to believe in God's work and power, not our own. So pick it up in verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We, so he's saying we were born into the family of God. But then he says this, yet we know that a, that, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also who believe in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. Justified, is the, this is the first time it appears in this letter. It's one of the first time it appears in the, in the Bible, at least in, in the New Testament. And oh, by the way, it appears three times in this one verse. It's a legal term that means to be made right. It's you are, you are justified. God now sees you just as if you'd never sinned. Right? That's what justified means. He's saying, guys, he's saying, we were not justified by doing the Bible, by doing the works of the law. We were justified by believing in the promise of who? Of Jesus Christ, not the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one is justified. Guys, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Do you remember the scene in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus gets invited to the Pharisee's home, and the Pharisee just wants to test him out and see what, he's, what he believes, and a woman who is a sinner, which probably means prostitute, comes and stands behind him and is weeping. And then she starts to wipe his feet with her, his feet with her hair and her tears, and he anoints her feet with oil. And the Pharisee stands in the back and goes, man, if this guy was really a prophet, speaking of Jesus, if this guy was really a prophet, he'd know that this woman who is touching him, because, oh, we can't let a sinner touch us, would be, is a sinner. And Jesus looks at him and he says, his name was Simon, he says, Simon, I came in here, you offered me no water. She is to wash my feet. She has, she has washed my feet with her tears. 
You did not anoint my head. She has anointed my feet with perfume. He said, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And they all went, who can forgive sin? And he looks at her and he says, sister, you are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beautiful story, isn't it? Beautiful story of love. What saved the woman? Her faith. Wait a minute. So faith. What is faith again? Her belief. Her belief in what? Jesus. How do we know she believed in Jesus? Because of there she was. What, what was she doing? Right? She was loving him. She was, what was the word you used, Sean? I want people that see Jesus as precious. She saw, like, that doesn't happen apart from a work of God. And our partnering, and that woman's partnering in that work, in, in, in practicing her faith. Right? And that's the difference between her and the Pharisee. He knew all the rules. He'd probably written some of them, because they were adding to them all the time. But he wouldn't, it wouldn't go from here to here. Again, as we talked, as Scott led us through in our prayer time, without knowing we were going to talk about that. Look at what it says here. And then this is some confusing stuff. It just, I mean, it sounds confusing at first, but look at verse 17. It says, but if you endeavor to be justified in Christ, so if you endeavor to be made right, to stand before God, to enter into the presence of a holy God, we too were found to be sinners. And sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. So what he's saying is, guys, if we try, this is what most of us do. I'm going to white knuckle this thing. I'm, you know what? I'm going to walk out of here today, and I'm just going to do better this week. I'm going to stop looking at this stuff on the internet. I'm going to stop drinking this, or I'm going to whatever your thing is. And we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're, I'm just going to do it. And then what do you inevitably do? Fail it, right? He's saying, guys, when we do that, does that somehow mean that grace didn't work? He's saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, or, because or, this was the other piece, and this, was, this is why the church is so afraid of grace. And if we tell people that there's nothing they need to do, oh, like, aren't they just going to run amok? Like, what, aren't, aren't they just going to be like, we're just going to be like, he's saying, here's what he's saying here. If you, if you keep reading, he says, for if I build what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's saying, if I try to rebuild a list of rules to get right with God, all I'm doing is walking further and further away from Jesus. And, and as I do that, and, and as I profess faith in him, and continue to do the things like an unbeliever would, in a, I am, in a sense, partnering in sin. I, I'm making Christ a partner in my sin. Now, as, as born-again believers, here's what we have to see. We have to see that, that when, when, we, when we try and when we fail, we see that that fail is what Jesus died for, right? And we go, man, I'm sorry that my sin put you on a cross. We grieve over it. We ask him for forgiveness for it, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us once again, over and over, from all unrighteousness. And then we say, now help me walk worthy. Help me live in victory. Help me live like I really believe. Now look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's the great exchange. He's saying, I have died that he might, that, that he might live in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by 
faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, our training thought for today, right, is what does living a life of faith look like? It looks like just believing. It looks like believing what Romans 8 tells us. When, when, when Paul says in Romans 8 that, that he who gave his son, gave his son, will he not also give you everything else? Right? If he didn't withhold Jesus from us, what else would he withhold? Is he going to withhold the ability to get victory over sin? No. Is he going to withhold like some sort of like future? Tra- no. It says, Paul tells us in Romans, he's like, I've, I've given you everything in Jesus Christ. We just don't live like we believe it. I don't, I don't live like I believe that. Because I will walk out of here and I'll try to do things in my own strength. I will get distracted by the world's goods. I will, I will flesh out. I will I fill in the blanks. I, I get that that's a, And then I will try to fix those things in my own strength. Instead of drawing back into the power of the gospel. Guys, look at your last table talk question. What is your only role in faith? I just heard it. Believe. Your your only role. That's it. There's nothing else about our walk of faith. There's nothing else about obeying obeying God's word. There's nothing. It it is one thing. Our, Our part in it is believing. It is believing in the promise of God. It is believing that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he says, and all of the promises of God, all of these promises he's saying, find their yes in Jesus Christ. It's believing that, that proves, that that will then allow us to live lives that prove our faith that is so different from the rest of the world. Guys, Christianity is the only faith in the, guys, I was, a, I was a God-mocking atheist. I've said this a zillion times, and I won't stop saying it because it's a, it's a walking miracle that I'm here doing what I'm doing. I was a God-mocking God mocking atheist for 24 of my 52 years. Did I not have faith when I was an atheist? I did. I had faith in science. I had faith in professors. I had faith in myself. Everybody's got it. question is, what's it in? Right? What are you believing? Right? Are you believing in the power of God? Are you believing in the gospel? Are you believing he is who he says he is? Do you believe he exists, Hebrews says? Do you believe he will do what he says he's going to do? Do you believe he is a rewarder of those who seek him? And then do you believe you are who he says you are? We'll finish it up with verse 21. There's so much more that, that could be said here, but I'm just not going to. It says... Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Here's what he's saying, guys. If, if, if I believe that somehow my faith is what, like my, my, my faith means obedience and that obedience is what saves me. Then, Jesus, then God hung his son on a cross for nothing. 
God already gets, he gets, like, that's one of the new things that's out there, is that, is that God is somehow a, 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 an abusive parent. Like, even people that will sit down and listen to you and talk to you about Jesus will say, wait a minute, how can God the Father put his son on a cross? There's only one answer to that, and that's love. Right? That's because it's the only way that we could be made righteous. It wasn't by keeping all of this. As the music team comes up and we respond, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about verse 21 as we take communion together in a minute as part of our time of response. Guys, I just want to ask you, do you really believe that? Like, do you really believe that God loved you enough to come here as a man, live and die, defeat death, rise again, and someday he will return? I... I the scary part to me, guys, in the church today is that that has almost become cliche, right? It's, it's like saying, well, man, yeah, Doug, I know all that. I, I, I know all that. That's all, when are we going to move past the gospel? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Never, right? We're not. We're not going to move past the gospel. It's all we got, right? We're going to talk about the freedom we have in Christ, the victory that has been assured at the cross. We're going to talk about God's love for us. We're going to walk, we're going to walk through and walk out the gospel because that's all we got. It is the differentiator between us and every other faith system in the world. Because here's what it says, that nothing, my faith system as an atheist said, I, I have to study this, this atheist evolutionist, I have to believe what my professor had to say here, and then I have to do these things like in, in accordance with that. Like, I'm going to live my life this way. Here's what Christianity, and you can say, yeah, but that's what Christianity says. Christianity says well, you have to believe in the Bible, and you have to do everything it says. If you just heard that today, you weren't listening. You believe in the Bible because it's true, because God has illuminated it to you, and now you know it to be so. That's the difference. And, and yet, if I, not just it, not if, when I walk out of here and don't obey something in it, don't live according to what I just said, I believe. Here's the scary part, parents, with kids in the room. It makes no difference. I get that, that's, I, I get that for all of them, like, <gasps> you just told my kid it doesn't matter. Does God care about our behavior? Sure he does. Does he want us to live, walk worthy of the gospel through which we've been called? Absolutely. But, it's the some, but somewhere we've got to stop going from there to, and if I don't, I'm not his. That is a defeatist, unbiblical, unchristlike answer. And some of you, are, I, I know by looks in your eyes, you're like, Doug, I, and, and I, yeah. All I can tell you is take it up with Paul. Galatians 2.21, because if Christ, if, I, if, I, if your kid, if you, your kid, my, could be saved by their behavior, then Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth that um, you are the one that illuminates our hearts. The spiritual eyes of our hearts have been opened to the truth of who you are and your word. Um, and Lord, that allows us to partner with you. And yet, Lord, I, I confess that often I am like the man who cried out, Lord, I do believe. Lord, I do believe. Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. It's because I interject myself. We interject ourselves into the equation way more than we should. 
Abraham believed God. His only role. He did a lot of stuff in his life for you, Lord. You led him a lot of places. The only thing that gave him any credit was he just believed. And even that was because you opened his eyes to do it. Lord, help us to be a people that just believe so that we can tell people about a God who can do that for them. That there's a world out there, Lord, that, that you love desperately. For God so loved the whole world that you gave your son. And they don't believe. Lord, give us great wisdom and discernment for sure on how to enter into gospel conversations. But most of all, give us a passion to want to. Lord, help, help our behavior, even individually, each of us in this room, young and old, help our behavior to just be an outflow, an overflow of what you have already done. We're not trying to earn anything. We're not trying to prove anything because we can't. We just want to live consistent with the one who has filled us and changed our hearts. Lord, help that happen by the power of your grace and the glory of your name, the strength of your word, and the indwelling of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.